on Sunday mornings, we're looking at encounters that people had with the Lord Jesus Christ in John's gospel. So we're not going through every verse in John. We're focusing on those not so much physical encounters. It was that, but it's the spiritual encounter because many of the people that heard Jesus physically, they did not have a spiritual encounter with him. And likewise, there are many people here, many people in the last 2,000 years, well, all of us, we have never had a physical <laughs> encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, but we have and do know him with the eye of faith. So that's what matters. Uh, do we know him spiritually? Not so much have you been physically healed by him. He can do that. He's still a miracle working God. But the most important miracle is the spiritual, the new birth. So we're looking this morning at one of the most well-known of the miracles of Jesus Christ. And I'll try and be brief because we've got the baptism following. But this is a wonderful picture, this miracle, of the spiritual transformation or encounter that takes place when we believe in Jesus Christ. So three things I want to mention about the miracle of the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. I want you to notice first the condition of this man. And this now is an illustration of you and me. Uh, this pool and all the sick and the lame around it is a picture of our world. Now, the pool of Bethesda was near the Sheep Gate. Do you know where the Sheep Gate is in Jerusalem? It's on the east side of Jerusalem, in the Arab quarter today. And they have excavated over the last few decades uh, the place where the pool of Bethesda uh, could well have been. And in Jesus' day, uh, there was a pool here, obviously, <laughs> and it had uh, qualities uh, to heal people. Uh, as we read, uh, the angel would come upon the water and it only happened at a certain time. And anybody going into that water at that precise time would be healed. So you can understand then why this pool became a popular place uh, to those who were afflicted with all sorts of ailments. And over time, there were so many people coming that they built five porticos so they could shelter uh, from the heat of the midday sun. And the excavations that have been done in uh, the last few decades have uh, discovered these things. So here is this place, Bethesda. Uh, it's a place in North Wales as well, uh, but that was named after this place originally in Jerusalem. And Bethesda means house of mercy. And to me, the church is to be a Bethesda. What's a good name for a church? There are some churches that are called Bethesda. It's a house of mercy. Uh, this world is a place that is beautiful, yes. 
especially on this fine morning, driving here over the bridge uh, in the bay, the still water of Cardiff Bay, uh, the skyscrapers that are being built in the city are reflected in the water and then behind the hills and the sun shining upon them. It's a beautiful world, but spiritually, it's a diseased place. And I don't need to go into too much detail to remind you of the fact that we've all come here this morning. Like the people coming to the pool of Bethesda, we're coming to the Bethesda of Heath as those who are spiritually lame, spiritually sick, spiritually blind, spiritually in great need. This is my first point. Now, in the men's breakfast, we're going through a book by Kent Hughes. No relationship uh, to me. He's an American pastor, and he's written a commentary on John. And this is what he says. What a pitiful crowd of broken humanity. It does not take much imagination to see these withered, wasted bodies, to smell the stench, to see the filth, and to sense the pathos of the old and young among those that have no ability to heal themselves, suffering humanity. Don't you have compassion upon the world, upon the people that are here? It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus Christ, we don't read of him visiting the palace in Jerusalem where uh, King Herod was. Well, we do read about that, but it happened when he was on trial before his crucifixion. We don't read about him hobnobbing with the great and the good of society. Uh, you know, uh, when you um, uh, read the society magazines, if I'm in a posh takeaway uh, waiting for the meal to come, I'll leaf through uh, the society pages in some of the magazines. There's one for Cardiff, isn't there? And you've, you've got all these people uh, posing for photographs with the great and the good. Jesus Christ didn't mingle with such people, he went to the poor and to the needy. And all of us are in that condition spiritually. And on the Sabbath, he was in this place, this hospital of Bethesda's pool. Aren't you glad of a saviour who has such compassion? Was there ever such compassion? Mr. Hyam wrote, Come, let us sing of a wonderful love, tender and true. Not just from the heart of the Father above, but through Jesus Christ, his Son. Now, I'm going to come to Jesus in a moment. I can't wait, you see. But we're thinking of this world. And the church is like the pool of Bethesda. Now, let's think for a moment about what it's like to be part of broken humanity. It's not just broken society. Isn't that the case today? The polarization going on? Uh, reading the news about the uh, campaigning in the United States, the polarization? 
the wars and rumors of wars, the disasters. It's not just a broken society. It's uh, broken families. It's sad, isn't it? Uh, All the heartache. And you may have come in here this morning with such burdens. And then the broken hearts. Not just broken relationships, but broken hearts. Is there a person here this morning who is in that state? And it's all because our relationship with God is broken. Everything is broken, as Bob Dylan sang. Because my and your relationship with our Creator is out of sync. When our first parents turned away from God in the Garden of Eden and the world fell... We all fell together. And so this world is a broken place. Do you see yourself as that? Or do you think of yourself as a good person who doesn't need Jesus Christ? All those people out there need him, but not me. Now, if you ever go to Jerusalem, if you ever get the chance, uh, really do go And if you visit the Arab quarter, it's beyond the Via Dolorosa. Now, in Jesus' day, the Via Dolorosa was the road of sorrow, the way he took to the cross. But today, it's a tourist trap. So you'll always see a crowd of tourists going up the Via Dolorosa. But once you get beyond the Via Dolorosa into the Arab quarter, where this pool of Bethesda would have been, it's really poor. It was poor in Jesus' day. It is poor today. Can you see that as a picture of the world? Often, uh, the church can be like the Via Dolorosa. We have our respectable fronts, don't we? And we, we think we're somehow all right. Is somebody here this morning thinking that because you've got religion, you're all right? But it's just a front. Once you get beyond that, you're in exactly the same place as the people in the pool of Bethesda. Once you get the veneer of respectability away, in the end, we're all just poor, wretched, blind sinners. This world. When I read of this pool of Bethesda, I'm just reminded of that place in the north of Moldova, that institution, Badachen. Carwin and Galina, they're in Moldova now, they've just come down from the north, they're back in Kishnau. But some of us have visited that institution many, many times, and it's a vivid picture of what we've got here. Just broken people, really broken. And I count it one of the greatest privileges of my Christian life, being able to go there to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to them. Uh, There's a patch of green outside of the institution where we hold the morning meeting. And it's wonderful. So this is the first point. I don't want to dwell for too long on it. But this world is like the pool of Bethesda. And the church, the church isn't a place that's moralizing and where sinners feel repelled. It's a place like the Pool of Bethesda, where those aware of their spiritual brokenness are drawn. Is that you? 
is that me? And then let's look at the second thing, and this is so important. Jesus Christ comes to such a place. Isn't that a wonderful love? Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. As we've been celebrating over Christmas, He who was with the Father from eternity, the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God the Son, becoming a man. And even as a human being, Jesus is unique because He is spotless. He never committed sin, never even thought a sinful desire. And wonder of wonders, what do we see? We see this sinless Saviour coming and not uh, mixing with the great and the good, but stooping himself to such depths where he is visiting the pool of Bethesda. The smell, as Hughes has mentioned, would have been horrible. The stench, the sights. The twistedness of the scene. And here is the straight saviour coming in to that. Isn't it wonderful? Wonderful love. And there's something even more amazing about the fact that he focuses on this one man. There would have been a crowd at the pool of Bethesda. But Jesus isn't interested in the crowd. He's interested in the one person. And he knows all about this man. He sees him. He sees you. And he knows all about you. He is aware of the long and wasted years that this man has spent trying to get a cure. 38 years. Some of you aren't even 38 years old. This man had been in that condition for 38 years. And... The worst thing is this, even though he's in the right place, he's there at the wrong time, because once the angel stirs the water, everybody rushes to get into the water, and this man has no one to carry him. He's lame, he's paralytic, he's got no one to take him to the water, so he's so disappointed, he's got no friend, and yet Jesus Christ comes to him, uh, you know, in one of the Psalms, the psalmist uh, complains to God, no man careth for my soul. Have you ever felt like that? No man careth for my soul. But here is Jesus Christ, the lover of our souls. You're in the right place coming to this Bethesda because Jesus Christ is the one who can save you. He's not repelled by your sin. Some people will say, but you don't know what I'm really like. I don't, but Jesus does, and he's still willing to save you. Uh, when we were in Moldova, I don't know if he's still alive. Those of you who still go will be able to tell me. There was an elderly chap called Michael. We called him Michael Moldova. Michael Moldova. And I couldn't speak the language, right? I couldn't speak the language. But we had... Uh, um, visual aids or sort of sign language not proper sign language this is what we said to Michael Muldo we tried to explain to him we had come uh, from another country and we had flown to Moldova so we had the I've got to get this right now 
the plane going up, the plane going across, and then the plane going down. So Michael Moldova, that's how I remember him. The plane going up, the plane going across, the plane coming down. We were able to communicate to him. We love you, Michael. We have come all this way. Think of Jesus Christ. You're going to get another children's talk now. This is the sign language. It's not going up, coming across, going down. Jesus Christ coming down from heaven. And was it for my sin that Jesus suffered so, wrote John Elias, when moved, yes, moved by his all-powerful love, much more powerful than a plane engine, he came to earth below, and how far down he went, he humbled himself and became a man, he humbled himself all the way to the death of the cross, and he only spent 33 years here, and then went up, he rose from the grave, having on the cross taken our sins upon himself. And he ascended to be with his Father, and that's where Jesus Christ is now. And listen, he hasn't lost his compassion. That human heart he still retains. And you know what? He's looking for lost sinners here this morning, just as he was at the pool of Bethesda. Isn't that wonderful? Coming to church is like coming to the pool of Bethesda. It's not a place where we are to be afraid of coming to because we're going to be judged by others. It's a place where we come to because Jesus Christ is going to have dealings with us. And yes, that does mean our hearts are going to be searched. But it means that he does that in order to save us. Do you know how much Jesus loved this man? Do you know how much? He performed this miracle on the Sabbath, didn't he? And our Lord sealed his death warrants doing that. Because this was the one piece of evidence the Pharisees, the religious leaders had now in order to kill Jesus. They had been plotting to do away with him and now they had the proof. He did a miracle on the Sabbath. How dare he do something like that? on the Sabbath. But that's the whole key to our salvation. Jesus Christ loved not just this man, but loved you and I so much that he was willing to die for us. When Jesus spoke to his disciples before his death, he said, this is a friend. How do I know a true friend? A friend is somebody who is willing to lay down his life for you and that's how much this friend of sinners loves the broken people of this world he didn't come to judge the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost hallelujah and he did it what we couldn't do. Imagine this man, he couldn't take himself to the water. He, he couldn't heal himself. And we can't save ourselves from sin. But what we can do, Jesus has done. That's the gospel in a nutshell. I can't make it plainer than that. Uh, let, let me quote to him. Thy works, not mine, O Christ. 
can cause this weight of sin to go. Thy blood alone, his sacrificial death on the cross, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Not what these hands have done can save this guilty soul. Not what this toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. You may not have been 38 years, but you may have been a long time trying to save yourself, trying to be good enough, trying to be religious enough. And it's all to no avail. And then thirdly and finally, this world is a bad a chen, it's a Bethesda, the church is a house of mercy. Secondly, Jesus is the one that changes that. He comes, he comes. And then thirdly, the fact that Jesus has come, the fact that Jesus has left heaven, gone to the cross, ascended, that's not going to save you unless you do something with Jesus Christ. Did you notice what Jesus does to this man? This is the majority of the reading. He knows all about him, and he asks him a question that sounds very odd. Do you want to be made well? What a cruel question to ask the poor man. Now, I've done enough hospital visiting to realize you don't ask that question to people who are seriously ill, do you? It's not a compassionate thing to do. But the Lord Jesus is asking this question for a very good reason. What's he doing? He wants this person to see for himself that he needs to be saved. So what Jesus Christ is trying to get him to see, he's pricking at his conscience. You see, coming to church isn't a place where you're going to be judged by your fellow human beings. But there is another kind of judgment that does happen in church. And it's when God, the Holy Spirit, points his finger at us and shows us that we need to be saved. So you may have come in here this morning, a religious person, all respectable. And Jesus Christ is saying, do you realize that you need to be saved? And maybe you are aware of your need and you've been seeking Jesus Christ, but you've been doing it half-heartedly and that's why nothing has happened. And so he's asking you, like he's asking this man, do you really want to be saved? Do you? Maybe when a close friend is taken ill or there's a tragedy, your conscience is pricked and for a while you're serious about knowing if you are going to be right with God. But it goes away. So can I ask you, do you really want to be forgiven? Do you really want to have a hope that when you die, you know that instead of going to eternal hell, you're going to eternal heaven? Do you really want that? Do you really realize that you cannot save yourself? Because we always bring in good work somehow, don't we? They always creep in. 
I, I was reading the prayer of a Puritan. He was called Beveridge. I don't know anything about him, right? I don't, I, I don't know what kind of life he lived, but this is what he prayed. I cannot pray except I sin. Um, Stuart Olliott once said that the only perfect part of the church service is the public reading of Scripture. But even our Bibles are translations, aren't they? So... <laughs> I cannot pray except I sin. I cannot preach, but I sin. So this man must have been a minister. (laughs) I cannot minister uh, or receive the Holy Communion, but I sin. My very repentance needs to be repented of, and the tears I shed need washing in the blood of Jesus Christ. I think that's what the Lord is putting his finger on it. Do you really see that I must save you completely? Or not at all. Because once you come to that place, in a sense, you've seen the light and you cast yourself on Jesus Christ. Uh, I I was interested to read what the great uh, John Calvin said about uh, uh, this miracle. He put it like this. uh, This sick man does what we nearly all do. He limits God's help uh, to his own ideas. He limits God to what he thinks God can do. So in answer to the question, do you want to be made whole? The sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. You see, he's got his own idea as to how he can be saved. But what Jesus is trying to get him to see is, look, that's no good. I'm a safe, and I alone. And you just cast yourself on me. (laughs) Spurgeon's got a lovely illustration. The five porticos that people were sheltering under around this pool. Uh, Spurgeon uh, names them all. Um, Different ways that people think they can be healed in terms of the pool of Bethesda. So one portico is called limited to one place. They had to come to the pool of Bethesda in order to be healed. Jesus Christ isn't limited to one place. You can find Jesus Christ wherever you are. You don't have to be saved in church. Another portico's got the title of waiting for something to happen. Leonard Cohen, waiting for the miracle to come. And it doesn't come. It never comes. Because God doesn't command you to wait for an experience. God commands all men everywhere to repent and be saved, to believe in Jesus Christ. The gospel does not say, wait until God does something. It says, look and be saved. All ye ends of the earth. Another portico has uh, got only one can be healed at a time. Only one can be healed at a time. Jesus Christ can heal many people at the same time. He can heal one person at a time. He is not limited in any way. Another portico, uh, only at a certain time, when the angel stirs the water, Jesus Christ can heal you whatever the time. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow, but whatever the time, whatever the time, another portico if I can understand my writing, uh, need another person to carry you. Need another person to carry you. 
I love the way Jesus Christ basically tears up the rule book here. This man is creating his own problem. This is how it's got to be done if I'm going to be healed. And Jesus says, don't bother with that. Just let me heal you. You don't need anybody to carry you into the pool. You don't even need the pool. All there is, is in me. That's all you need. None but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. And this man then, he just believes, doesn't he? Uh, we, we can limit God. We, we can think, oh, if you're to be saved, you've got to pray the sinner's prayer. No, you don't. You've got to come up to the front. No, you don't have to. You've got to come and see the minister in the vestry after. There's nothing wrong doing that. But you don't have to do that to be saved. You've got to come to church. No, you don't. It's the best place to be. But God isn't limited. God can save you anywhere. The pastor of the Welsh Evangelical Church here in Cardiff, I knew him as a boy. And he, he was backslidden. If, uh, he maybe didn't know the Lord for many years. And it was when he was taking a year out, travelling the world. And you know where he was saved? In Patagonia. You couldn't get further away from the Welsh Evangelical Church than Patagonia. God isn't limited. We set limits on God. He is unlimited. In what he can do. And then the moment this man believes. Jesus is commanding him to do the impossible. Take up your bed and walk. I can't do that. I know you can't do that. You haven't got the power. But it's my word that says. Take up your bed and walk. And when this man takes Jesus at his word. Strength comes straight away. It's not Heath Evangelical Church who is saying to you, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If it was, then there'd be no power in the word. It's not me, it's not Andy, it's not Nathan. It's Jesus Christ that says that. And the moment you take him at his word, you're saved. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus pardon receives and it's not stated here but I can well imagine this man thinking well he didn't think ah I've been healed there's my mats I'll roll it up and I'll just walk away do you imagine him doing that I'm reminded of Peter healing a man uh, a few weeks later, at the gates beautiful in Jerusalem, and we're told that that man, once his ankles were made strong, he began to walk, and he didn't just walk, did he? He was doing something that he never did before, but now he's not just walking, he's leaping, jumping, and he's praising God, and I can imagine him saying a few hallelujahs as well. Can't you? I can imagine this man doing that, and I can imagine the Pharisees shaking their heads. It's the Sabbath. But this man has experienced the wonderful grace of God in Jesus Christ. Um, Brian, I remember meeting you for the first time in T Brazil many years ago. And you had with you a man, a pastor from Ireland. And I was quite taken aback by this pastor because he would be saying hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me close. I've gone on for too long. This church is a Bethesda. 
a house of mercy. Not because there's anything in the water. No, there's nothing in the water there that we're going to use to baptize little Nathan. It's not because there's anything in the church. It's because it's a place where Jesus Christ is lifted. And there are many people here who've experienced the miracle of grace in Jesus Christ. But what about you? Have you? Have you? Don't wait any longer. Don't, don't sit under your portico, whatever label you may have. I know there are some here, they're just waiting for an experience. Don't wait for an experience. Just repent and believe in Jesus Christ. The experience has come after. And if you have been healed, don't just take it for granted. I think we sometimes quench the spirits because we give the impression that... So that's that then. Let us praise the Lord. I know we're not the most ebullient of people, and that doesn't matter. It's the heart that matters. May we just have big hearts because God has done big things for us. And may our hearts be full of thankfulness. My heart is filled with thankfulness. And may we have big hearts for this broken world round about us. May we have compassion like our Saviour had compassion. And may God, even in this year, make this to be a Bethesda indeed. For his name's sake. Amen. Uh, let's sing a hymn, a great hymn of invitation. Come, you sinners, poor and wretched. That's all of us. Weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you. Full of pity, joined with power. You can't get a better combination than that. 474.
Thank you for this wonderful gospel of love and of grace. And we pray that by the Spirit of God, you will apply this gospel to our hearts and grant that some may be born of the Spirit and reconciled to you as their Heavenly Father. Hear us, O Lord, and bless us in this brief act of baptism for your name's sake. Amen.